0: If you would, go ahead and turn into uh, Ephesians chapter 4. And while you're turning there, I will share a little story. When I was in high school, I was in the marching band. When I was in high school, I was in the marching band. Now, I actually didn't march. Um, I was in what's called the front ensemble. So for those of you who are not in band, that just means I'd sit on the front and don't do much, all right? Um, So there were people who marched. And uh, one of the things being in the marching band that I heard all the time was the need for unity, the need to have unity. Otherwise, um, if you ever, I don't know if you guys remember, a few years ago at the OSU football game, the OSU marching band did a really cool set where they actually had a horse, the picture of a horse moving across the field. And it was galloping, so they had all of these people yet moving back and forth like this to get the legs to move back and forth as it galloped across the field. It was really cool. Um, but in order to do that, of course, each person must be in complete unity, Right? Because if any single person were to break unity, then they would break the leg. Um, so you wouldn't have the horse. So there's a desperate need for unity in a marching band. And I want to show you guys a quick video of what it looks like when there's not unity in a marching band. So watch this. Everything's going great, but watch the sousaphones. Watch these sousaphones up here. Oh. <laughs> Makes me laugh every time. Okay, so we do not we do not want to be sousaphones, right? We do not want to be those people. When that happens, it breaks down the entire unity. And so, even though it was just one person who made a mistake, the entire body of the marching band was was affected by it, right? So, this morning we're going to be just just like in the marching band. There's a need for unity. There's a need for preservation of unity in the body of Christ, right? It, it, if we don't apply the things that we learned this morning, then we will be like the Susaphones. As a body of believers, we will cause disunity, which will cause disruption in the efficacy of the body. So we're going to see three things in our passage this morning. Like I said, we're going to be studying the whole chapter for today because Paul is really great. He's a he's a systematic guy. And so he gives us his thesis at the beginning, but then as he develops, he actually gives us his application at the end. So we want to take a whole look at the chapter, and we're going to see three things. He tells us what is our call, and Paul gives us how the body functions, and he shows us what unity looks like. So those are the three things we're going to see this morning. We're going to see our call, how the body functions, what unity looks like. So look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. He says, "...therefore, I, prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So he tells us, first and foremost, that we are to preserve the unity in the body. That's the manner worthy of our calling. So he calls us. We see our call is to preserve the unity. We're called to unity. I want to point something out to you. I I keep harping on this word. I keep emphasizing that it's, we are to be diligent to preserve the unity. And this word preserve literally means to keep watch or to guard. So the same root word that is used here to mean preserve is the same root that's used to describe the Roman guards for the prisons. Okay? So it's a guarding idea. What does it mean that we're supposed to preserve something? It means it's already there, right? So this is key that the body is already unified. When we put our trust in Christ, we're placed into the body, and each one of us is already united in Christ. What that means is that any time we experience any sort of disunity, it is the direct consequence of your sin or mine. Any time there's any disunity in the body, it's because you or someone else was sinning. So we are to be diligent to preserve it. It, it, Sometimes we get this idea of like, well, I just can't get along with this guy. Or I I just, you know, we rub each other the wrong way. It's just not going to work. No, no, no. There's already unity. The only time there's not is because one of us is sinning. Does that make sense? So we can preserve the unity. All we have to do is preserve, keep watch, guard over what is already there. So Paul shows us the five ways to do this. He says, we are to do it with humility, with gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love. That's verse 2. So verse 2 says, with all humility and gentleness and patience, showing tolerance for one another in love. And the key here is the love, right? So we have the humility, which is the result of the fact that we're all saved by grace. there's not a single one of us who deserves to be in the body of Christ. That means that there's not a single one of us that deserves forgiveness, deserves to be here this morning. We're all here by God's grace. And so there's a humility in that. Disunity occurs when one of us begins to think that we deserved being here. So humility. Second is gentleness. This word gentleness has the idea of leniency. So, you know, someone does you wrong and you're lenient with them. You, You show them gentleness. And then patience and tolerance. Tolerance is sometimes translated forbearance. It's, it's bearing up with each other. And then ultimately, love. Of course, we know First Peter 4, 8 says, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. If we just kept this list right here, if we could stay humble, gentle, patient, tolerant, and loving, there would be no disunity in the body. We could stop right here and end it. Uh, but we're going to keep going. So, Paul gives us these five things, but I want to point out that the word unity here is a really cool word. It means oneness. It comes from the same root word that means one. And and that's cool because as then Paul gets into why should we be unified, he goes in and says, because, verse 4, there is one body, one spirit, just also as you were called in, one hope of your calling. There's one Lord, one faith, and one baptism, and there's one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. So he, he's essentially telling us, if we, if we were reading in the original language, it would read like, be diligent to preserve the oneness since there is one body. Does that make sense? So he tells us this is important because we are all part of the church. We are all part of the body of Christ, and we're on the same team. And, and I put this up here, all believers, because we're not just talking about Stillwater Bible Church. When we talk about the unity of the body, we don't just mean us here on a Sunday morning. We don't just mean our grow group. We're talking about every single person who has put their trust in Christ for eternal life is in the body. We're on the same team. We, the person who aggravates you, the person you dislike, or maybe the person who has hurt you, is still in the same body, still indwelt by the same spirit, still has the same hope of Christ's coming. Jesus is still Lord still has one faith, the faith in Christ for eternal life. They have one baptism being placed into the body of Christ, like Romans 6 says, and they have one God. You guys serve the same God. And so when we allow disunity to occur, we ignore the fact that we guys, we're all on the same team. We're in the same body. We may have doctrinal differences. We may have practical differences. We may have hurt one another, but we are still members of the body of Christ. We are still brothers and sisters. So, in summary for this first section, oh, I almost forgot. Uh, so, if you look at verse 6, he says, There's one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. So, again, these people who we, we might really desire to have unity with, God is over them, God is working through them, and God has indwelled them with the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 6 says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? the Holy Spirit is in you. And he says, therefore, glorify God in your body. So all of us share the same God and Father who's working in us, who's over us, and who's working through us. So in summary, we are all called, every single one of us is called to preserve the unity. It's not just certain people. We're all called to preserve the unity as fellow members, fellow brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. And he gives us the five ways through humility, gentleness, patience, tolerance, and love. And why? Because we all serve one God who's working in all of us. I've had the privilege of going on several different mission trips in my life. Uh, I've gone to Costa Rica a few times. I've gone to the UK once, and we're about to go again. And one thing that has always impressed me about going on mission trips is the inherent unity that exists. Uh, The very first time I ever went to Costa Rica, we were only there seven days, And at the end of the seven days of doing ministry together, it was time to leave, and I cried. I literally cried, because these people were not just people, they were my brothers in Christ. They they became people with whom I did ministry, and there's a bond there. And, And it's amazing, after only seven days, how much they can feel like family. In the same way, we went to the UK last year, we were only there 10 days, and yet we are such intimate friends, because we did ministry together. And... Funny story, while we were in the UK, they were actually having a major election. Uh, it, it's, it would be likened to our presidential election. The, the elections that were happening in the UK while we were there determined the next prime minister. So they were a big deal. And in fact, as we were going door to door sharing the gospel, there were people from the Labour Party and Conservative Party going door to door campaigning. So we're all like, hey. Um, and while we were there, there were people at the church who supported one party, the Labour Party. Um, And there was people of the church who supported the other party, the conservatives. And um, you can imagine, if, if we tried to go and do ministry the night of the general election, you've got some Hillary supporters here, you've got some Trump supporters here, just imagine the potential for tension, right? Yeah. There wasn't any. There was so much opportunity for disunity, but there wasn't any, because we had our eyes fixed on Jesus, Because we weren't there focused on the things of this world. We were there to do ministry. And it was amazing how we all came together with one mind and one purpose for the faith of the gospel. So, unity. Paul gets into this next section and he actually shows us how the body functions. And he answers it saying it's through spiritual gifts. So if you look at verse 7, verse 7 says, But to each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. This is talking about spiritual gifts. And uh, we're going to skip verses 8 through 10 this morning, just because we don't have a lot of time. We've got to cover the whole chapter. So look down at verse 11, and he he fleshes out some of the gifts. This is not a comprehensive list. This is just some gifts. Um, He says he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, and some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. So, these gifts are for the equipping of the saints to do ministry to the building up of the body of Christ. And when we do this, the body functions well. He keeps going. He says, until, verse 13, we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. And then he gives us the result. He says, as a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men and the craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted together and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body and the building up of itself in love. So, when we use our spiritual gifts in the proper functioning, then we produce growth. Did you catch that? Look look again at verse 16. It says, From whom the whole body, being fitted together and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes growth. When we're working properly, the body grows. It builds itself up in love. When we aren't working properly, the body doesn't grow. So, the key is the proper working of each individual part, using our spiritual gifts, using our talents for his glory. When we are working properly, the body grows. We, when we stop acting like the sousaphones improperly and we start doing the things that God has called us to do in unity, the body grows and it builds itself up in love. It builds itself up. When we are united, we can change the world. We can change the world for Christ. When we have one mind and one spirit for the sake of the gospel, that is when we make a difference. We can come to church every week. We can sit down, read our Bibles, and go home, and we won't make a lick of difference in this world. When we're united for the sake of the gospel, that is when we make an impact. We didn't make an impact in England fussing over the election. We made an impact because we set aside our differences and focused on Christ. So when the body doesn't function properly, it hurts us. And I want to point out that our diversity as individuals works toward a unified whole. That even in our diversity with spiritual gifts, they work toward unity. Our diversity can't separate us, but it all comes back to Christ, who is the head, as we see in verse 14 and 15. So... I, I've referenced this verse a couple times. I put it up there, Philippians 1.27. You don't need to turn there. I'll just read it. Philippians 1.27 is one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. <clears> he <throat> says, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. So this sounds a lot like Ephesians 4.1, right? What we just read. It says, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. So Ephesians 4 says, walk in a manner worthy of the calling. Same thing here. So that, whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. One spirit, one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Disunity occurs when we stop striving together for the faith of the gospel. If we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, we will remain unified. So, when the body does not function properly, it hurts us. I I might lie about you and that hurts. You might gossip about me and it gets back to me and I'm hurt. But catch this. It hurts us, but more importantly, it hurts the cause of Christ. If the result of disunity was just that you and I got our feelings hurt, okay, get over it, right? But the result is that it hurts our ability to do ministry, and that should bring us a lot of sorrow. When, when we fall victim to gossip, when we become ensnared in the temptation of, "oh, I've got a juicy secret, or, oh, you wouldn't believe what was going on over here, well, then that hurts the cause of Christ. We're not focused so much on whether or not someone's feelings got hurt. We're focusing on the bigger picture, which is that we become ineffective in ministry. And that's a big deal. So disunity hurts the cause of Christ. Next, he shows us what unity looks like. So if you look at Ephesians 4, verse 17, he says, This I say and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind. So he says, Don't live like the Gentiles live. We're called to live differently. So often, we look just like the world. We're doing the same things they're doing, talking the same way they talk, and living the same way they live. Live differently. We're called to live differently. Um, look at verse 20. He says, you did not learn Christ in this way. This isn't how you learned Christ. But if indeed you've heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit. So he says, lay aside the old self. Romans 6 talks about this as well. We're supposed to take off the old self and put on the new. So, lay aside the old self, and then he says, um, lay aside the old self, and that you be renewed, verse 23, renewed in the spirit of your mind. This is like, it reminds me of Romans 12, right? Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So, um, you be renewed in the spirit of your mind, verse 24, put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Put on the new self. Anyone who is in Christ is a new creature. The old has passed away. Behold, new things have come. You're new. So put on the new self. You have, When we trust in Christ, we now have liberty. We have the liberty to choose, will I be enslaved to sin or will I put myself in subjection to Christ? We have that choice. And so we're called to put on the new self, walk in the spirit, and not carry out the desires of the flesh. So put on the new self. And look at this. He says in verse 24, In the likeness of God, you've been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. That's you. If you've put your trust in Christ, you you have a new creation in the likeness of God, righteous in the holiness of truth. Does that sound like you? Because that is you. But the question is, are you going to put that you on? Are you going to lay aside the old you? Which one are you going to choose? We're called to lay aside the old self and put on the new. So this is what unity looks like. Um, then he gives us verses 25 through 32 are so important. Because here's, if you remember at the beginning, I said, Paul gives us in, in the duration of chapter 4 a full um, development of his argument, right? He gives us his thesis at the beginning, so to speak. He fleshes it out, and at the end he gives us his application. Well, that's where we are now. We're at the application. Look at verse 25. He says, Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. So lay aside falsehood, he gives the negative, don't lie, and then positive, speak the truth. And if you remember, we just read uh, in verse 15, speaking the truth in love. When we share something that we don't know is true, we lie. We lie. If you pass along information that you haven't verified, then even if the information turns out to be true, you shared it with a deceitful heart. Does that make sense? So often we hear something and go, well, I guess that's true. Let me pass it along. Did you hear about so-and-so? You just lied because you're sharing something as fact that you didn't verify. So if you hear something about someone, you go and talk to them before you pass it along, and then you still shouldn't pass it along. So speak the truth. Lay aside falsehood. In verse 26, it says, Be angry and yet do not sin. Be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And don't give the devil an opportunity. It is not a sin to be angry. But it is very easy to sin while angry. Right? Um, There are certain things that make me angry. I get angry about abortion. I get angry about disunity in the body. But how do we respond to that anger? Do we respond righteously or wickedly? We have the choice. Do I walk in the spirit? Do I walk in the flesh? Do I put on the new or do I keep the old? So when someone angers you, don't sin. Next he says... He who steals, verse 28, must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with the one who has need. So look at this again. We have a positive, or sorry, we have a negative and then a positive. He says, don't steal. And he says, instead, work hard so that you can give to those in need. Imagine if we followed this premise. If as soon as I was in need and I felt like "Ah, I might need to take something, instead I just decided to work. And then I took the product of my labor and actually gave to the other people who were tempted to steal. So this is what Paul says. He's, he's fixing so many societal issues just right here. Don't steal, work hard, and help those in need. So much of the disunity in the body occurs when we're tempted to take from one another what isn't ours. Now, in verse 29, this is the famous verse. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. How many of you have been told throughout your life that this verse is talking about cussing, right? You've heard, oh, that no one wholesome word, no one wholesome word, okay? Well, the context here, it, it's not implying cussing. It implies divisive. And I would just wonder how many parents have put a bar of soap in their child's mouth and quoted this verse, and then they turn around and go, did you hear about Sue? Well, where should the bar of soap be? So, no unwholesome words, only words which edify, only words which give grace. This is a really high standard. He says, not a single unwholesome word, none. And then he says, only edify and only give grace and only speak according to the need of the moment. How rare is that? That's not me. I'm, if you haven't noticed already, I'm a talker. I don't always speak according to the need of the moment. If we held ourselves to the standard of, I'm only going to speak words that edify, I'm only going to speak words that are according to the need of the moment, and I'm only going to speak words which give grace, then we would fix so much of the disunity in, in the body of Christ. If, if we just held fast to verse 29, we'd be golden. So often, we know that we desire unity. We as individuals have been made in the image of God. And God is triune. have Father, Son, and Spirit in perfect unity for all eternity. We're made in that image. We have a necessity for unity. And so what happens is that we try and contrive it in false ways. So instead of coming together in unity for the gospel, we come together in unity for gossip. We we have such a craving for unity that we gather around the table and talk about other people. I, I, I go to the union Uh, several times a week. I sit in the student union here at OSU um, and meet with people. And while I'm sitting there, I hear a lot of different conversations going on. And I can tell you that the vast, vast majority of conversations that I hear are people talking about others who aren't present. It's our favorite topic, is to talk on people who aren't there and talk on things we don't know. So, we have such a craving for unity, but we achieve a false unity that comes about by sin, instead of true unity, which comes about in Christ. No unwholesome words is talking about gossip. It's talking about slander. It's talking about maligning. Look at verse thirty-one. He says, "Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from from you, along with all malice. When someone hurts you, let go of the bitterness." That's a hard one, right? Let go of the bitterness when someone hurts you. When, when someone hurts you, let go of the wrath and anger. So verses uh, 28 and 29, we see, okay, what should I do to control myself? Well, how, how should I keep from hurting other people? But here we see, what should I do when I've been hurt? So don't hurt other people, but now let's say you've been hurt. You've been hurt by somebody. What do you do? Put away the bitterness, Put away the wrath and anger. Don't, don't slander about them. It's so easy to vent, right? I just need to vent. Can I just tell you what's going on? How many of you guys have done that before? Oh, can I just vent to you? How many of you guys have listened when someone asked? I do. That's, that's slandering the person who's hurt you, right? The, the only person you should vent to is God. <laughs> um, say, God, this person has hurt me. Please just help me to forgive them. Put away the bitterness, put away the wrath and anger, put away the slander, and put away all malice. Yes, you've been hurt. Don't talk to people about it. Right? Unless you're asking for wise counsel. That's the only time you should be talking about ways you've been hurt is seeking wise counsel. Okay? Verse thirty-two. Oh, oh, sorry, I just wanted to get this in. This is a great quote. This is a great quote about gossip. Um William Crawford is a guy that I disciple. He's in our college ministry. And we had a a friend who was going through some real hard stuff. And he came up to me and he was like, hey, man, what's going on with this guy? Is everything okay? And I was just like, look, if you really want to know, you can ask him. I'm not going to be the one to tell you what's going on. And he was like, okay, okay. Well, about a week later, he came up to me. And for those of you who who know William, he's like, dude, that thing you said to me last week, oh it really hit me. And I was like, what What thing? What are you talking about? I was like, I, I realized if I'm not close enough to this person to, to ask, then I'm not close enough to that person to know. I couldn't have said it better myself. I was like, whoa, you're right. If I'm not close enough to ask, hey, what's going on, then I don't need to know. But so much of us so much of our life, we, we just desire to be in the know. I just want to know what's going on. But, hey, what are you guys talking about? One of the hardest things is when everyone around you knows something and you don't. That's okay. If, you don't, if you're not willing to ask directly, you don't need to know. So, let go of bitterness, anger, slander, malice. Uh, Luke chapter 6, Jesus is talking and he says, When, when somebody loves someone who loves in return, that's easy. He says sinners do that. Sinners love those who love. He says sinners lend to those they know they'll get back. But we, we're supposed to love those who respond in hate. We're supposed to love those that we can't guarantee they'll ever give back. So when, when someone hurts you, let it go. But then it's easy to love the lovable. The reward is for loving your enemies, even if they're in Christ. Sometimes someone in Christ feels like an enemy, don't they? We're called to love them. And then he says to forgive one another. Verse 32, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God and Christ has also forgiven you. So forgiveness, as JB always says, literally means to release the debt. And notice he says forgive as Christ forgives. How did Christ forgive you? Did you deserve it? Did you do something for it? So most of the time for us, you know, it's like I just can't forgive him. You have no idea what he did. Ah, uh, he just does not deserve it. He, he hasn't said sorry yet. So I'm not going to forgive him. It's not about whether or not he deserves it. Forgiveness is not based on the character of the offender. But get this, it's also not based on the character of the offended. If someone hurts me, it's not based on my character. If it were left up to me, I wouldn't forgive him. But who's it based on? It is based on the character of Christ. We are supposed to forgive as Christ forgives, which is full of grace, unconditional. When someone hurts you, we forgive every time we release the debt. If you're reading along with me, your alarm bells might be going off. You're like, whoa, Tyler skipped a verse. Um, I did it on purpose. I I wanted to end on this. I wanted to end on this. Um, Why... Why should we seek this unity? Well, notice verse 30 says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Verse 30 tells us disunity grieves the Holy Spirit who is in you. When we inhibit the efficacy of this body, we grieve Almighty God. When we stop living for Christ and get caught up in the petty differences we have with one another, we grieve The Holy Spirit. Let me give you a summary. We're called to preserve the unity, right? We're called to preserve it because it's already there. And our diversity functions towards unity through spiritual gifts. So we saw that we're called to preserve the unity, and we saw that our diversity functions toward unity through spiritual gifts. So each one's been given a gift. We're supposed to have the proper working of each individual part. And then we saw that we're called to live differently. We're called to live differently. Lay aside the old self and put on the new. So, with that in mind, let me give you some application. First, we are called to preserve the unity. We're called to preserve the unity. We are already united, and disunity only occurs when we sin. Disunity only occurs when we sin. Second, we are called to lay aside the old self. We're called to lay aside the old self, so stop gossiping, And maligning and harboring bitterness. These are attributes of the old self. Don't gossip, don't malign, don't harbor bitterness. Release the debt. So he gives us this negative to lay aside the old self, stop gossiping, maligning, and then he gives us the positive. Oh, and when we cause disunity, we are grieving the Holy Spirit. And finally, put on the new self. We're called to put on the new self. Let us speak the truth in love. Let us forgive one another and edify one another. Let's build one another up. Let's speak truth to one another. Let's, stop, let's lay aside the gossip and the maligning and the hate, whether it's within the body or whether it's outside the body, whether it's between this church and that church or this person and that person. Let's lay it aside and just speak the truth in love. Forgive one another and edify. When we do these things, we will be focused on and effective in reaching the world for Christ. It's not about you, and it's not about me. It's about Christ. When we do these things, we will be focused on reaching the world for Christ, and we will be effective in reaching the world for Christ. So let everything we do be to the glory of God.